0: you're listening to the holy hot mess mom podcast i'm heather and i like to treat this podcast like we're just old friends sitting around on our jam jams with no makeup a messy bun and probably some sort of bodily fluid on our shirt from a child in this show we chat about homemaking simplifying mommyhood jesus and everything in between this is a place where we embrace that life can sometimes be a crazy beautiful hilarious mess i want to give you the encouragement support and some practical tips to help you thrive, even when some days you might feel like you're riding the Holy Hot Mess Express. So grab a cup of coffee, or wine if it's been one of those days, relax, and let's chat. All right, so here we are, episode 14, and we are going to be chatting about something theological and Jesus-y, and in a way that you can digest it and understand it and maybe start to understand Jesus in the church a little bit better. So today we're talking about my favorite thing to talk about. So my favorite thing to talk about non-religious is normally decluttering, which is coming up soon. But my favorite thing to talk about religiously is the Eucharist so or communion, whatever you want to call it. So if you grew up in the Catholic Church and you never really understood most of it, This podcast episode is definitely for you. If you were one of those families that went to Mass because that's what your family did, you got First Holy Communion because your mom forced you to go to Sunday school or CCD or religious formation classes, and then you even got confirmed to quote-unquote graduate from those classes, like me, I thought it was a graduation. Total God fail. Then this episode is definitely for you too. I'm gonna be diving into some basic info on the Eucharist, which is the Catholic form of communion, what we believe, why we believe it, what makes it so special, and some other questions that come along with all that above. So question number one, what do Catholics believe about the Eucharist? What is it? You know, all that. So the first important thing to know is that Catholics don't believe that communion is a symbol or a reenactment of the Last Supper in memory of what Jesus said and did that day. We believe that the Eucharist is Jesus. Physically present, body, blood, soul, and divinity comes down from heaven and fully transforms that bread and wine into his body and blood, although it maintains the appearance of bread and wine. So we call this transubstantiation. The substance, the the primary substance of it is actually changed into the body and blood of Jesus. This is a hard, hard concept to understand and to accept it because it, to our human eyes, like it looks like a piece of bread and a piece of wine and a piece of wine. Oh goodness. You know, a cup with some wine in it. And it's called the miracle of the Eucharist because it's something that our human brains cannot get wrapped around, but you can try as hard as you can. And it's kind of faith, living by faith and not by sight, you know? So the word Eucharist in the original Greek Eucharistia literally means Thanksgiving to give thanks. And when we hit that part of mass, we're offering a sacrifice to God in thanks to him. You know, there were sacrifices that were made in reparation of wrongdoings, you know, back in the Old Testament. And in this one, we're really offering the bread, the wine, and all the money that was collected in the quote-unquote offering part, get it? Now you understand why those people, you know, the people walk up and they're presenting, the, the ushers have like those baskets full of all the money, and they're presenting the wine, It just normal wine and normal bread and we offer all that and we also offer up Jesus himself. So basically if you think about it, all of it was given to us from God. So the fruit of that vine, you know, the the plentiful harvest that gave us the the grapes that we that the humans made the wine out of. And the plentiful harvest that gave us the ingredients to make the you know the the host out of. And the financial blessings that God has given us that these people have donated their money. And then Jesus himself was given to us by God. And we're turning all around and thanking God for giving us that and offering it back to him. So we believe that a miracle actually happens upon that altar at the hands of the priest who's acting, quote, in persona Christi. And that means in the person of Christ we believe that Jesus comes down from heaven and fully, completely transforms that tiny little wafer and wine into himself through the priest. This is why we call it, quote unquote, the true presence. A lot of times you'll hear the true presence. Uh, there's even a website you can go to called, I think it's called theTruePresence.com, And you can find out where there's adoration chapels, where the Eucharist is put on display. It's a consecrated Eucharist that is put on display for worshiping God. This is why there's all that kneeling and genuflecting in that part of the mass. Just an FYI, when you genuflect into a church, which genuflecting actually means flexing of the knee, when you do that, you know, one knee down and you do the sign of the cross, you're not doing that just because you're entering God's house. You should be actually doing it towards the tabernacle. If that tabernacle candle, that normally red candle is lit, that means that there's consecrated Eucharist in the tabernacle and we're paying respect to being in the physical presence of God. So that's why we genuflect. Fun fact. This is also why some women cover their head with veils and why a lot of people receive communion on the tongue because we feel like we're unworthy to touch God with our hands. And a lot of other Christian sects think, whoa, 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 sects. S E C T S, not S E X. I didn't mean to. I hope it, maybe I have just issues saying that word. Anyway, they think. Whoa, 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 whoa! What are you Catholics, cannibal Catholics, doing? Sacrificing Jesus all over again? Like this was a one and one and done deal. And they're right. We we don't need to ca. We, you know we don't need to freak out about this detail. Everybody, calm down. I'm going to explain how the whole sacrifice came about to begin with. Because it was a one and done sacrifice, but it's made present every mass. And it's, again, every time I talk about theology, it's fascinating because that's that's what I think. I'm a nerd. But it was all foreshadowed in the Old Testament with the Passover. We believe the Eucharist is the true presence of Christ because the Old Testament foreshadowed it. And Jesus himself told us it was. This is kind of the point where you either have to say, what do I believe about Jesus? Do I believe that he is a liar, that he really was not any of these things, but he said he was and was just trying to get everybody to lie and thousands of thousands and thousands of people have died protecting lies? Do we believe that he was a lunatic That was literally a crazy man who actually thought he was God, but absolutely was not. And therefore we are completely worshiping and following a false everything. Do we believe he was a legend? So just like some stories came about and like, you know, he never said he was God. He never said any of this, but it's all been kind of like a game of telephone through the ages. Or do we believe that Jesus is who he say he who he says he is? He says he's God and he says the Eucharist is the true presence of Christ. And remember back in the Old Testament when God was going to be sending the last plague to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, he wanted to give some way to protect his faithful Jewish nation. nation. After all, he's going to be killing all the firstborn sons in one quick swoop one night. So he had to give his people explicit directions on how to protect themselves. And the directions went a little bit like this. Number one, find a perfect lamb, no bruises, no cuts, no sickness or anything like that and kill it. And when you kill it, make sure you don't break any bones. This comes into play later. Number two, spread its its blood by painting it on the doorframe of your home so that your sins and the sins of your family would be forgiven in that sacrifice. Number three, cook up the lamb and give thanks to God, Eucharistia, and eat it as a family. Number four, go to sleep. And when you wake up, God will have spared your family of killing the firstborn son. Simple, right? Now, what if you weren't really a fan of lamb steak? I can get down on some filet mignon, but lamb tastes a little gamey and I didn't really want to eat it at the Passover meal. So I just skipped it and had dessert. Well, you'd wake up the next day and find your firstborn son killed. You didn't hold up to your end of the agreement with God or covenant. A family agreement with God is the covenant. And so he didn't fulfill the promise on his end either. So we're going to take it back to Jesus now and the Catholic Eucharist and communion. If you remember, Jesus was sinless. He is sinless. Perfect. A quote unquote, perfect lamb. Ever why we refer to Jesus as the lamb of God so much? Well, here you go. He was the perfect lamb who was killed. But no bones were broken like the other two people crucified on Calvary that day. It was actually customary to break their bones, but the Romans figured he was good and dead and didn't want to put forth the effort. And somehow they didn't follow through with what they normally did. But the prophecy of having an unblemished lamb with no broken bones was fulfilled. His blood was shed for all so that sins may be forgiven. And here's the kicker. We cannot fully appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus offered and continues to offer on our behalf of the sins of the whole world unless we eat this Passover lamb, Jesus. It's morbid, I know, and it's really hard to think of it that way, especially if you have no recollection of the Old Testament. You know, these Jews and that became Christians— you know, right after Jesus died and they're participating in the Eucharist, they understood this killing, offering, sacrifice, all that. We don't understand that as 21st century people. And so that's why we're removed from it. And I think that's where this wishy-washy catechism, this wishy-washy teachings that we get as kids doesn't give us the real truth because it's really hard to think of physically eating Jesus. It's like we, if you just think about that, why would we do that? It's really gross. Like it's hard to wrap our human minds around this creepy miracle, but it's true. Every time we eat that Holy Communion, we reseal our covenant with God and the sacrifice made for us on Calvary. So we're not re-sacrificing God. We're making present the sacrifice, the the, the Passover meal end of the deal. So see how we don't actually re-sacrifice Jesus at mass. We just make the sacrifice present to our day and time by having him come down to let us consume his flesh and blood. And even more evidence of this is in Luke chapter 24. So after Jesus rose from the dead, paraphrasing here, he comes back to hang out with the disciples because I'm pretty sure the Bible does not say, quote unquote, hang out, but they didn't recognize him. He starts talking to them about scripture and they're still clueless. They're like, yeah, this guy knows who he's talking about, I guess. But they like the guy. And so they ask him to stay the evening with them. Well, while they're all hanging out, Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it and gives it to everybody there. And upon receiving the bread of life from Jesus, their eyes were opened and they recognized him finally. It's the act of breaking the bread and consuming it that fully opens our hearts, minds and souls to Jesus. Okay, so how do we know it's all for real, right? Because it's hard to believe. Well, we know it's all for real because Jesus told us himself. And again, if you've made your decision that you believe God, Jesus is who he says he is, then you have to believe these things that he himself said. In what is called the Bread of Life Discourse, John tells us that right after Jesus fed the thousands with just a little bit of bread and some fish, with 12 baskets of leftovers, hmm, 12 baskets left over to be distributed later, kind of like the 12 apostles, right? He gives a speech to everybody talking about how we shouldn't work for food that perishes, but work for food that gives eternal life, which is John 6, 27. He explains that if it wasn't for Moses, who gave them the manna, literally meaning the grain from heaven each morning. And if you don't know this, the The Jews were starving and God promised them manna from heaven every morning and they weren't to take more than they needed and they weren't to gather any on uh, the Sabbath. So they would gather extra on, you know, the day before the Sabbath so that they would have enough to make for the Sabbath. He gave them this bread while they were starving in the desert, but it was God, the father who gave them the bread from heaven and gives it to the world. And they start saying, everybody in this crowd starts saying, please, please give us this bread always. Like we, we need it. And Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Okay. So nowhere in there did he say, you need to eat me right (laughs) now. He meant this both literally and figuratively, figuratively, because he's the filler for all of our voids shortcomings. You know, he fills, feeds us But literally, he explains the whole eating him part next in the rest of John chapter six is where Jesus tells us literally what he meant by being the bread of life. And around verse 48, Jesus is telling the Jews that are in this crowd that he is the bread of life. And anyone who eats of this bread, his flesh will have eternal life within them. Now, the original Greek word used in the Bible literally translates to gnaw, like like beef jerky, like super graphic. The Jews present that day did not take this well because cannibalism was not okay. So this, you know, like they believed that getting blood on you from another human was something that made you unclean to the whole community. And so everybody around them starts saying, ew, that's gross. They actually say, how can you give us your flesh? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And with that, they give Jesus a a huge open wide chance to say, no, 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 no. Everybody chill out. I didn't actually mean eat. I just meant that we'll use that bread to reenact the last supper, but it's totally not me because you're right. Gnawing on human flesh is gross. But guess what? Jesus did not back down on what he said at all the gnawing. Instead, he responds, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats or gnaws my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him on the last day for my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him sounds pretty darn clear to me what he was trying to say because a lot of people walked away and he he was in this he was in the job of trying to save souls so don't you think that if he didn't actually mean that that if those people were walking away he would have ran after them but he doesn't he's like y'all don't want to take what I'm saying literally because i mean it literally you can keep on walking so this is what makes the Catholic Eucharist and communion so special. This is why people go to adoration. And adoration is a time where the Eucharist consecrated host, little wafer, is put on display in this beautiful monstrance for faithful to come worship and spend one-on physical one-on-one time with Jesus. This is why women cover their heads with veils and other head coverings. This is why we kneel during the concentration te- consecration times of the Mass. When the priest is calling on Jesus through him to transform this measly bread and wine into Jesus. That's also why the bells are rung during the consecration times. The bells are actually to say, hey, pay attention. This part is important. This is why we genuflect to the tabernacle. This is why we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. This is why many people don't feel worthy enough to touch Jesus with their hands and receive on the tongue. Here's another fun fact. Did you know that when a priest is ordained, his thumbs and pointer fingers are anointed with holy oil to be purified for the touching of the Eucharist because that's how they hold it? This is also why people who have not yet received their first Holy Communion in the Catholic Church shouldn't receive the Eucharist. Well, really, there's three reasons. The number one is that the church wants to make sure that when someone receives this beautiful gift that God has given us, that they're fully aware of the miracle that they're consuming. They, we don't want you to take it for granted because there's another place in the new Testament where Jesus, they flat out say that if you consume the body and blood of Jesus without properly discerning, you could be calling judge that you are calling judgment upon yourself. Number two is the church wants to make sure that the person receiving is fully worthy of receiving Christ. So no super bad mortal sins. You know, that's why we're supposed to go to confession once a year, because we're supposed to receive communion once a, at least once a year. And number three, because accepting communion in the Catholic church also means that you're in communion with the church, that you fully support and adhere to church teachings. It's not a only we can have it, not you, nanny nanny boo boo kind of thing. It's merely an agreement and a covenantal seal of unity with God and the church. And if you're not in union with what the Catholic church teaches, then why would you openly want to make this commitment? Does that make sense? So Father Mike Schmidt is awesome. And he does this great explanation on the non-Catholic receiving of the Eucharist. Um, and it's a really important thing because our goal on earth is just, should just be to proclaim the gospel and get everybody to heaven. But you also have to make sure that people aren't partaking in something that they may not believe in, that their hearts may not be ready for. Okay, so now we're going to talk about why it's extremely important for those receiving who, okay, so you're a Catholic and you've received your First Holy Communion and, you know, you don't really go to church, but on Easter and Christmas, and then you decide to go up for Communion. It's really important for all of us receiving the sacrament to be free of mortal sins, the big ones, because those big ones literally put a wall and separate us from the grace of God. And in order for a sin to be mortal, we must intentionally, in full knowledge, commit something we know God does not want. Basically us saying, yeah, God, I know you said this, set this X, Y, Z rule, but I don't really care and I'm going to do it anyways. It puts up a wall between us and God. And when you receive Christ and try to t- partake in that covenantal renewal of God's promise of salvation, but you've put a huge wall between you and God deliberately, that's not doing anyone any bo- any good. It's like you're trying to claim your rightful place in the kingdom, but you have no intention on following the rules, you know? And so I will tell you that that was a really hard thing for me to come to understand. And it's also a really big awakening for me every time I do commit a sin and I know that I need to go confess that. And then I don't get communion because I haven't confessed. And I know that I've built a wall up between me and God. It leaves me sitting there thinking, oh, I I want that I want that Eucharist. I want to celebrate the sacrament and I can't because of my own wrongdoing because I decided to do something against God when I knew it wasn't what God had wanted. And so that's why confession is so important. And our priest at our church is a lawyer who stopped being a lawyer, converted from being Baptist and is now a priest. And so he's so interesting to talk to and I am going to be interviewing him about confession and about like the priest's point of view on confession and how to get up the courage to go to confession if you haven't been in a while and why it's such a beautiful, amazing, I can't get this through to you guys enough. It is the most amazing feeling in the world to have forgiveness like to say the things you've done out loud and have forgiveness. It is beautiful. And then you get to go receive this Eucharist and really appreciate what it is because you're receiving it out of purity of heart. And it's amazing. So if you still don't believe me, I want you to go to the show notes and you're going to check out some Eucharistic miracles and Eucharistic miracles are when the body and blood of Christ and the Eucharist, which is under the form of bread and wine actually bleeds has actually been scientifically proven to have human flesh cells. Like there was one where they sent it off and had it tested by third party testing, like not by the Vatican, you know, people making it up or anything like that. Like they sent this bleeding host off and it was tested and it was found to have human flesh cells and not just any human flesh cells, but cardiac cells. So heart cells. And then those cells even had enzymes in them that showed that those cardiac muscles were under extreme levels of stress found in the human remnants of the cells. And I mean, what's more stressful than being crucified and scourged and all these things, you know, so it's amazing. So I'm going to put a few links to these Eucharistic miracles in the show notes. And I would really, really advise you to go check those out and kind of reaffirm, like, if you grew up like me, not knowing really what Eucharistic anything is, and that God was just there to ask him when you needed help because of your wishy-washy catechism you got in the church, then look into the Eucharist, I'm telling you. So there's also a book called The Lamb's Supper by Scott Hahn. That one's amazing. A Biblical Walk Through the Mass by Dr. Ed Sri, I believe, is the other one. So those are both really good books to be learning about, like, Eucharistic miracles. And then if you're doubting it, too, like, remember, make the decision that you believe Jesus is who he says he is, and then go read John chapter 6, because it's all right there. So if you're looking for a church to go to, you can go to—let me check it—you can go to MassTimes.org. And you can find the worship times for mass, for confession, for adoration, by just like typing in your zip code or whatever and be able to get, get in there, get to confession and then go receive the Eucharist. And I always say that I'm a lot like Thomas, doubting Thomas. Thomas was the one that wasn't there whenever all the apostles were in the upper room. And so Jesus left and all the apostles are telling him and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see it whenever I believe it. And then... Jesus comes and he's like, yo, bro, put your hand in my side. Put your finger through these holes in my hands and my feet. Like, it's really me. And Thomas is like, my God, it's really you. And that's how I feel every time I go to mass. Now, Every, even as crazy as the kids can be in church, I'm sitting there looking at that priest consecrating that Eucharist, and I'm thinking... Oh my gosh, that's really God like coming down, like heaven is actually coming to earth right now for me. And then my body gets to be the temple that holds Jesus for a while, at least. And that's a huge miracle. So anyways, if you have any questions or if you have any questions about that, you want me to ask, um, father Matthew, you can email me at podcast at holyhotmessmom.com. Dot com, and I'll put those on my list to be able to ask him when I interview him about confession and all that. This episode is over, but there's lots more content for you to check out on my website. Head over to holy for all sorts of downloads, posts, and ridiculous stories, as well as the show notes for today's episode. Don't forget to find me on Instagram and Facebook at Holy Hot Mess Mom, as well as in our exclusive Mama Facebook group by searching Holy Hot Mess Mamas. That's Holy Hot M A M A S. So we can connect, share, encourage, uplift, laugh, and be virtual best friends. Do you have a topic or something you want to hear about on the show? Shoot me an email at podcast at holyhotmessmom.com. I'd love to hear your suggestions. If you like this episode, would you do me a huge favor and head over to your podcast app and give us a rating and review so that more ladies can find our podcast. The more great reviews we have, the wider we reach with our support, tips, laughs, and encouragement. I would really appreciate it until next time.